You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. This morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about the far-reaching effects of the inheritance that we have in Christ. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a very traditional church. And uh, they were very good about telling people what to believe in as far as being saved. But they never really taught people how to inherit the blessings that come from salvation. And I've seen many people in the church, American Christians like that, they're saved on their way to heaven, but they don't know how to inherit many of the things that Jesus died for on the cross. And that's what I want to minister to you today. And it reminds me of a story I heard years ago. It's a true story. It's about a preacher in London who he would go down, a very famous preacher, he would go down to the slum areas and he would minister to people. And, and one of the ladies that he ministered to down there was an older uh, lady who lived by herself and she lived in a crate uh, from the water, waterfront, uh, a crate for packing things, and that was her home. And so he would go there and he would sit down with her and they'd, she had a few little chairs and they would have a cup of tea, whatever. And one day he looks up on this crate wall and there's this picture frame with something in it. And so he asked the woman, he said, what is that? She said, well, you know, I never learned to read and write growing up. And I was a servant of this very wealthy landowner. And it was something that he gave to me uh, on his deathbed. He was dying and he gave it to me. So she said, I figured it was worth something, so I framed it and put it on the wall, even though I don't know what it means. And so he goes over and looks at it and begins to re re uh, read it, and it was a will and testament. He had given to this woman all of his wealth. Can you say amen? She'd been living in a crate when she could have been living in a palace. She'd been living in a place of lack when she couldn't have more than enough, but she didn't know that it belonged to her. She didn't know it was hers. And so, and I often wonder about the story, what happened after she cast in on her wealth, the blessing she gave to the church. But the, the truth of the matter is, she spent years in lack when she had this inheritance that he gave to her. And Christ has given every one of us an inheritance of healing, provision, and uh, the miraculous in our life, what we need to meet all of our needs and to fulfill the vision that God has given us. He's given every one of us this inheritance. And I'm not telling you something that isn't true. God didn't call you just to get through life and then one day die and go to heaven. He wants your inheritance to manifest here so that we can, so that we can reach out and we can occupy and we can take more land and we can reach more people and we can be blessed abundantly so that we can feed the poor and we can reach out to people that don't know Jesus and we can build churches all over the world. He wants you to be blessed. And, come on. He wants you to be blessed. Now, I want you to see this verse with me. This is in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15. And look what it says, if you can stand it. It says, uh, for this reason, he, the mediator, is talking about Jesus, of a new covenant by means of death. Say, by means of death. 
for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. Eternal inheritance doesn't mean that there isn't something here. It just means that if our faith succeeds here in the life to come, God gives us an eternal blessing. That's why James says that, that he's striving for that crown that he would receive. Paul called it a crown of righteousness when he gets to heaven. But there is this inheritance that has been given to us through the death of Jesus. You know, when you give out an inheritance, you wait until the person dies. Jesus died on that cross with your sins, and God rose him up from the dead, seated in heaven in places. Now he is dispersing the inheritance to his children to their children and their children. Praise God. Isn't that exciting, everybody, that God has something to give to us to bless us? But the key to this thing is this. How do we release our faith in this inheritance and have it actually manifest in our lives? How do we pay our bills? How do we pay off our house? How do we uh, prosper in the things of God? What do we need to do? I'll write this down. You have to have what the Bible calls the obedience of faith. Say the obedience of faith. Now, that means that you not only believe something, but it causes you to obey what you believe. For example, when Peter was in the boat, remember? And Jesus was walking on the water, and Peter said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come. Jesus, walking on the water, said, come. That was a command, right? If Peter had not obeyed that voice, stepped down out of the boat, he never would have had that supernatural experience of walking in the water. In other words, there was an obedience of faith connected to it, just like the man that was born blind. Jesus put mud in his eyes. He said, go wash in the pool of Shalom. If he had stopped up at another pool, he wouldn't have been healed. If he had stopped at a neighborhood and washed his face, he wouldn't have been healed. But because he had the obedience of faith and he acted on it, he washed in the pool of Shalom and came up seen for the first time in his life. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced, but when someone gets healed that's never seen before, it is quite an impact in their life. Amen? It's one thing to lose your sight. It's another thing never to have it. But God said, if you obey me in this area you will be blessed. Amen? Let me give you a couple of references here that'll help. In Acts chapter 5, verse 30 to 32, it tells us the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey Him. Hallelujah. Oh, you're not getting this. You're not getting this. You ever meet a Christian that's not Spirit-filled and, and, and thinks it's okay? It's not okay. I want everybody here to be spirit-filled. Amen? Amen? But it does take the obedience of faith to be spirit-filled. Uh, you remember when Jesus rose from the dead, and he was meeting with, his, uh, meeting with people afterwards? And in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that 500 people saw Jesus. And he told 500 people, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wait in Jerusalem till you receive power from on high. And you remember? Only 120 showed up. That means 380 people didn't obey in faith and could have been filled with the Spirit. They could have experienced the great outpouring of the Spirit that happened at Pentecost, but because they didn't obey in faith, they did not receive the benefit of it. Can you say amen? you you got to be the kind of person that will say, Lord, whatever you say, I'm going to believe for it. Amen? If you said to believe this way, I'm going to believe this way. 
Have you ever met anybody who believed that they were saved, but they've never professed Christ? Have you ever met somebody like that? Well, I, I don't feel like you need to do it publicly. I just have my personal relationship with Jesus. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What does the Word say? The Word says that if we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, it says with a heart we believe on to salvation, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You got to get out of the closet and become a Christian. Say amen. You got to get out of the closet and say, Jesus is my Lord, if you want to get the impact of it. So there's an obedience of faith that is required in a situation like that to receive from the Lord. Uh, Hebrews 5 9 says this it says that after Jesus was perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation. Now, watch this. To those who obey him. In other words, if you weren't planning on obeying him, you can't get saved. But if you were planning on obeying him, you could get saved. A lot of people say, well, I'm just not quite ready, to, you know, to do what the Lord wants me to do. Well, you're not ready to get saved. But if you're ready to get saved, if you're ready to turn your life around, you're ready to have Jesus direct your life, if you're ready to say, Jesus is going to be Lord in my life and is going to govern my life, then you're in a position that you can be saved, you can be filled with the Spirit, you can have the power of God move through your life, and you can get breakthrough after breakthrough and breakthrough in your life, and you can get delivered, and you can get set free, and you can fulfill the dreams and visions that God has given you in your life. Woo! It's really quite simple when you look at it from that perspective. I wrote this down, and I want you to write it down. It's a very powerful statement. Whenever you obey him, his rulership will reign in your life. Whenever I obey Christ, his rulership will reign in my life. So what do you mean rulership? You remember when he was raised from the dead in Peter's preaching, and the Father says to Jesus, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. In other words, the Father's will is that Christ would reign through those who have believed. Whenever you submit to the will of God, whenever you submit to God's will and you obey God, God will reign in your life. He'll reign healing in your life. He'll reign prosperity in your life. He'll reign breakthrough in your life. He'll reign restoration in your life. But you got to be willing as an individual to obey the Lord by faith. Amen? That doesn't mean you have a set of rules and regulations on what you have to do to be saved. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being led by the Spirit. When you're led by the Spirit, you don't fulfill the works of the flesh. When you walk in the love of God, you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. When you follow the Spirit of God in your life, you're going to end up living in a level that God wants you to live in. Amen? Now watch this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Put it on the screen. I see, a lot of preachers don't preach this because they don't want to offend anybody. But I'm not here to necessarily make friends. I'm here to preach the truth to you. And if you believe the truth, we'll be buddies. But if you don't, we're, we're going to have problems. Amen? Now, listen to what it says. Uh, but do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? In other words, those who are not born again, those who are not begotten of the Spirit and made righteous in Christ, he says, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, 
nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extorters will inherit the kingdom of God. Now watch this next part. And such were some of you. Boy, aren't we a piece of cake here, huh? A lot of you were the same way before you came to Christ. Such were the some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. So I don't particularly care about preachers that get up and say that the morals in the world is what the church should be doing right now. This is telling me what I shouldn't be doing. And I, God wrote it. I didn't write it. It wasn't my idea. I love the sinner. I love the... Come on, I don't care what kind of sin you're in. But God's word is true. And certain kinds of behavior is an abomination to God. I don't care if it's sectable. I don't care if they take me off the internet. I'm just telling you the way it is. And you can take it to home. Praise God. Jesus Christ is Lord. And whatever his word says is true. True, and God has called us to holiness in our lives. Amen and amen and amen. Yeah, it needs to be preached. It's like, oh, don't say that. We're going to offend everybody. Gosh, don't even bother being a Christian if you're worried about being offended. Just stay a heathen. Come on. Because once you become a Christian, there's going to be some problems. The devil don't want you changing your family. He doesn't want you living right. He doesn't want you seeing the power of God moving in your life. There's going to be resistance. That just means that you're probably a child of God, and you're walking in his ways, and the devil is frustrated. I don't like that, Pastor Jack. Get over it, devil. We're going to change the Northwest. We're going to get a breakthrough. I don't care if it's a blue state, a red state, a purple state. We're going to get a breakthrough by the Holy Ghost and the power of God. We're going to see the church rise up and occupy and take back the land that Satan has taken from us. Hallelujah. It's a little exciting, praise God. But I want you to see then from the text that as he describes the people that don't inherit the things of the kingdom, he's preaching to people who were practicing some of these things. They've been washed, but yet they're not receiving the inheritance. Uh, if you read the first part of the chapter, Christians were suing one another. They were greedy. Amen? Then you read the end of the chapter, and it talks about sexual sins prostitution. Now, that would include hiring somebody for homosexual acts as well as the other type. Amen? It would include everything. Some of the church members were doing that. And Paul says, this is who you used to be, but this is not who you are right now. And you're not going to inherit the blessings of the kingdom living that way. You're going to inherit the, the blessings of the kingdom by walking in the fruit of the Spirit. By walking in love, you're not going to commit adultery. By walking in love, you're not going to steal. By walking in love, you're going to live the life. By walking in love, you're going to act the identity that God gave you. Not the identity of the world, but the identity that God gave you. Woo, yeah. And we know from Scripture that people can live out their Christian life and literally lose out of many of the blessings and the inheritance that God has for them. 
First Corinthians chapter 3 is very clear about that. It said each person's work will be tested with fire of what sort it is. And then it says this. If a person's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved as fi through fire. So he won't get an eternal reward, but he's at least, praise God, he's going to go to heaven. Say amen, everybody. <laughs> Hallelujah. Another example of this, and this is one of my personal favorites, is in 1 Corinthians 5, 5. I've had to do this sometimes, uh, where there was a brother in the church who was committing incest with his stepmother, and Paul said, when you come together in the spirit, I want you to hand him over to Satan. This is 1 John 5, 5. Hand him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that in the day of Christ he may be saved. How come we're not excited about it? It beats going to hell, doesn't it? But is, does God promise us a short life or a long life? He promises us a long life. So why rob yourself of that simply because you're not being led by the Spirit? Why rob yourself of that because you don't have the obedience of faith? Why rob yourself of that and be broke, busted, and disgusted all your life because you won't tithe and give offerings because you don't believe in faith that God will actually do what he said he will do? Why suffer loss when you don't have to suffer loss? I don't know about you. I want to cash in on everything, praise God. I want to get every blessing that God has given me, from the little ones to the big ones to the huge ones. I don't want to die with an empty treasure box. I want to die with my treasure box full because God has called every one of us to restore things back to the way it was before the fall. God wants to restore your marriage before sin came into this world. He wants to restore your finances before sin came into this world. He wants to restore your family before sin came into this world. Wow. And so there can be a loss in a believer's life and not cash in on the spiritual blessings that God has for them. The inheritance that God has given us simply because of a lack of the obedience of faith. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Now I'm going to share a truth with you here that will separate you from legalism into grace. Wonderful truth. Write this down. This is in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 22. And it's a powerful verse. Here's what it says. It says, the righteousness of God is revealed apart from the law. And then it says, it is witnessed by the prophets or by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through Jesus Christ is given to all and upon all. And there is no distinction. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about a righteousness that doesn't come from what you do. It doesn't come because you went to church every week. It doesn't come because you prayed every week. It doesn't come because it comes when you believed on Christ and God imputed to you his son's righteousness inside of you, which gave you the right to your inheritance, would give you the right to get healed, we give you the right to go over the top, we give you the right to be more than a conqueror, we give you the right to prevail in your life in spite of your shortcomings. Because this righteousness doesn't come from the law, it comes from the giver of the law, who is Jesus Christ. It comes from what he did, not what we did. Amen. People that go, well, pastor, you're going to have to do this, this, and this, and this to inherit the kingdom of God. 
they're missing the point. Listen to me carefully. If there was a commandment to receive eternal life, Jesus would not have gone to the cross. God would have said, I'm just going to give you a new commandment. Do this and you get salvation, but he didn't. He sent Jesus to take your sins upon himself on that cross so that he could pay the price for your sin and God rose him from the dead because he had no sin within himself and when he rose him from the dead he provided everything that would be given to to Jesus who had no sin because his sin was removed in the body of Jesus on that cross God loved you so much my friend that he had Jesus sacrifice for you put the curse of the law on himself so that we could be free from poverty free from spiritual death free from sickness free from all of that in our lives Whew. I mean that's awesome but notice he put it on Jesus it wasn't he didn't offer eternal life because of certain things you do. I don't know how many people I've talked to that go, well, I'm a good person. I know that God's a good God and I'll go to heaven. You can't get to heaven. You're not good enough. You can't make it. You can't make it. God's holy. The only way you can make it there is with his holiness. The only way you can make it there is the holiness of Jesus. And you can't get that unless you surrender to him, unless you give your life to him and say, Jesus, my life is yours. Take it. You're my Lord. Bam. Impartation. He who knew no sin was made sin in order that we might be made the righteousness of God. I made the righteousness of God. That means that I'm righteous even when I screw up. That means I'm righteous even when I mess up. Even though, I, come on, I'm righteous when I'm feeling down. I'm righteous when I'm not doing the right thing. I'm righteous. I can run to God any time that I need help. And God will give me grace and mercy, and he'll see me as if Jesus is in me. He'll give to me because of Jesus, and I can boldly come to the throne of grace. Receive deliverance. Oh, man, someone ought to get excited right now. This is powerful. Boldly go to him. Receive it. Receive it. Whew, that's all because of Jesus. Wow, I don't know how anybody can go to church and not get excited. But do you see where I'm getting at with this? Some of you have come here and you, you've had made a mess of your life. And you don't believe that you can do anything, that you can get anything from God because you've messed up. Now, you need to accept Christ first. But once you get saved, you have a righteousness within you that gives you access to dip into the well of grace and mercy. And how about you? I don't need a cup full I need a dump trunk full. I need a dam full of grace in my life. Amen. But it is available in Christ. In Christ. God doesn't say when you go to him in prayer, Lord, I'm here. Can I come in? And he goes, well, let me look at the records. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Stay out. You didn't uh, take off your wife's shoes when she came home today. Maybe we should reverse that. You didn't take your husband's shoes off. Okay. He doesn't look at a list and start eliminating and say, well, go ahead and do, the, go back, do everything back over again. And we'll try it. Right now, you failed. You can't, I can't see you. 
He doesn't do that. Instead, he has no record of your sins. They were blotted out by the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Come on in. Come on in. Let's fellowship. Let's hang out together. Let's watch football together. Come on. Come on in. Write this down. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I don't know if you can handle these truths. It says, Dear children, God has forgiven you of all your sins. I love the verse. The word forgiveness in the Greek is perfect tense. Perfect tense means once it's happened, it never has to happen again. He's saying that God forgave you in Christ one time, and it is forever. And that forgiveness continually is worked out in your life. The cleansing is continually worked out in your life. God has always cleansed you because of that one time sac sacrifice in your life. Here's what religion says. God won't forgive you until you repent adequately, then he will. That means that forgiveness is conditioned on you. But forgiveness is never conditioned on you. It's conditioned on Christ. God forgave you when you walked that aisle and gave your life to Christ before you ever changed anything in your life, before you ever worked out that goodness he puts within you, before you ever changed, he says, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to remove those sins. You went home with total forgiveness and had not done anything good yet except walk that aisle. You hadn't forgiven anybody yet. You hadn't given money yet. You hadn't loved anyone yet. Oh, glory to God. He just, it's not on you. It's on Christ. Christ took your sins on himself. Man. It is an awesome truth, and I want to give you a verse that fits in with it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. You remember this verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How many remember that verse? we got to read on farther. It goes on and says, all things are from God. And watch this. Who has, say has, reconciled. Us to himself through Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Hallelujah. He didn't say that God was reconciled to us. It said that God reconciled us to God. Ooh. Uh, uh, oh. Do, do, you, do, you understand, do you understand what I said? I don't think you understand what I said. It means that God didn't change. God changed you. He changed you by removing your sins. He changed you by setting you free. He changed you by causing you to be spiritually alive. He changed you so that you could have a breakout with him. He changed you so that he could impart his Holy Spirit in you. It was God woo, who changed me. When I walked the aisles of the church, gave my life to Jesus... 
All of a sudden, I was a new man in Christ Jesus. I wasn't that negative sinner that I was before. I had changed on the inside out. I was ready to serve God. I didn't want to run from God. I wanted to run to God. I didn't want to stay away from God. I wanted to know God because God rescued me. Wow. There's more, but I don't know if you can handle it. You think you can handle it? Are you sure you can handle it? Whew. He goes on, and it says that God is reconciling the world to himself, <laughs> not imputing trespasses of them. In other words, God is saying, listen, today is the day of salvation. I'm not going to judge the sinner for their sin right now. Today is the day you can accept Christ. Today is the day you can be redeemed. I'm not going to bring you to the judgment yet. I've given you my son. My son died for you, and he hung on that cross. And today is the day you can change your life. Wrath, my wrath is not coming now. I'm not sending hurricanes. I'm not sending earthquakes. I'm not sending natural disasters. I'm not, I'm not going to impute their trespasses to them as long as it is called today. This is the day that the Lord has made. And he's reconciled the world to himself. The unsaved person, listen to me, God is withhold judgment on you because he wants you to accept his son, Jesus. Now, if you die and died without Christ, then you're in a whole lot of hurt. But if you accept Christ, you will never in your life experience the wrath of God. It isn't the wrath of God that's wrecked in our world. It's the wrath of men. It's not the wrath of God that's wrecking the economy. It is man who's wrecking the economy. It's not the wrath of God that is wrecking creation. It is man wrecking creation. God has delivered us. Hallelujah. God's not the one doing it. It is Satan who knows his time is running out. Because my Bible said in Revelation chapter 12 that he was booted out of heaven when Jesus rose from the dead. God kicked him out took his credentials. He's no longer prosecuting angel. He's been booted out. Why? Because God took care of all your sins, past, present, and future. He has no legal basis to accuse you before God because the blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all your sin. Oh, man. Now, in preaching this, I minister to a lot of people, and many, bless their little darling hearts, they struggle because of unworthiness. Pastor, I messed up here, I messed up there. Man, I kicked my dog this week, threw the cat out in the rain. Man, and this is something that has repeatedly happened in my life, and they have this heaps of, of unworthiness in their life. Peter said the reason why people backslide is because they have forgotten that they have been forgiven of their former sins. Don't forget that God has forgiven you. 
Because unworthiness will prevent you from receiving the grace that you need to prevail in your life. Amen? Are we excited today? I'm preaching the eagles today. You're not buzzards. You're eagles. The Bible says those who wait on the Lord shall man up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. Come on. You're all eagles. Come on. Oh, you're eagles. You're eagles. Did you know that eagles are sometimes badgered by other birds that are lesser? Like crows? They'll bug them. Now, a crow can move, uh, can turn easier than an eagle. So what an eagle does to get rid of the crow is he just flies higher because the crow can't go that high. You, gotta, you, got, you may got some, some crows in your friend, friend list. You may have some crows on your job. But you're flying with eagles right here. Eagles never eat anything that's dead. They always eat things that are alive. Say amen. They may kill it, but they eat what's alive. Hallelujah. You're an eagle. Now, I wanted to say this because I love the scripture that says, those that have been raised up with Christ, it says, seek those things above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. In other words, elevate your thought life. Begin to think on what Christ has provided for you in Christ when all that negative comes on you, when those crows are, come on. (laughs) Amen. Oh, Lord, you really want me to do that. If you're single looking for a man, I want to show you how the eagles get a man. Because you're an eagle, ladies. Are you an eagle? Here's what the eagles do. This is hilarious. When a female wants to mate with a, uh, with a, a male, what happens is the, is the male is interested. The, the, the female will go down, and she'll find a branch on the ground, and she'll fly up in the air real high and drop it. And the male will chase that down. Snatch that branch, bring it back up to the female. She'll take it and fly higher. Drop it again. This goes on for like three or four hours. So the male is constantly winning her over, constantly proving I'm the one to keep. Constantly, the rest of them are there. I, I just, I'm going to just, yeah, I just, <laughs> constant, till finally she says, he has proved himself, you're my man. Here's today's culture. The woman takes the branch, flies up and drops it, and goes down and catches it, drops it. (laughs) Says, just watch me. I'll go down and catch it. Ladies, you're eagles. Let him work for it. Let him pursue you with all your heart. Hallelujah. I did that with my wife, you know, we, she, uh, she was tough, man. I met her in 15 and a half, and man, she just, wow. I had to work my tail off. I had to take a shower. I had to shave. I had to wash the car. I had to convince her that I would be a rock star, and uh, that was way back then. 
And I did that and finally married her at 19. And she said this to me. She said, I don't want to lose you because I don't think I can get anybody better than you. Yeah, come on, everybody. (laughs) Say amen. You really got me off track here, praise God. Somebody needed that today really bad. I can tell that. Now, listen to me. I want you to see something. There's a spiritual lesson here I want you to see. There is an updraft spiritually that every one of us have if we're a Christian, if we're a believer. Did you know that an eagle cannot fly 10,000, 20,000 feet in the air without a storm? They can't fly that high without a storm. Because whenever there's a storm, there's an updraft, and the eagle will get in the storm and stick out their wings and lock them in, and that updraft will just take them up through the top of that storm to the top where there is sunshine, there is peace. God, Paul said it this way, when I'm weak, I'm strong, praise God. In other words, when the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises up a standard. Whatever's coming at you, God increases the grace. He turns up the grace. He pours out more grace. The heart of the problem, God always gives you a way of escape in the trial that you're in in your life. Stand your feet right now, everybody. Some of you need that updraft today. I know you've been telling me horrible things have been happening to you, but I want you to know, let the joy of the Lord be your sword. Let God's word rise up inside of you, because God always provides a way of escape in the trials that you're in. When I think of the story of Paul and Silas, who were beaten with rods, put in an inner jail, and it says at midnight, say midnight. Now remember, this is a culture that has no electricity, no electric cars yet. And when, so when it gets dark, it's dark. They're in this jail. Most, most of the prisoners have probably been sleeping for hours. And all of a sudden, I don't know where they got this revelation, but they said, Hey, let's have ourselves a singing meeting. Let's begin to praise God in the midst of this trial that we're in. And they didn't know God was going to deliver them, but they had enough sense to know that there was an updraft that God had given them. And that no matter how much pressure was on them, that God would pour out more grace on them, that they could be delivered, that God would give them a way of escape. And who would have known? And they didn't. They weren't quiet Christians. Well, we don't want to wake anybody. Instead, they begin to sing praises. Lord, I praise you tonight. I praise you, Father. I give you thanks in everything, Lord. We rejoice in you, Lord. We won't stop. I don't care if they hear me in the cell next door, in the cell down the the hall. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to thank you. And as they begin to praise him, all of a sudden there was a mighty, all of a sudden there was a great sound of an earthquake and the jail cells opened up and chains fell off them. You know why? They got caught in the updraft. Do you have a need for the updraft in your life right now? Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.